Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. My name is Jim, and I am one of the pastors here. Thank you very, very much for being here to worship Jesus with us today. Dude, singing, am I right? Singing. Way to go, Matt and team. <clears throat> and Auditorium 2, and you and your pajamas at home, way to go on all the singing. Uh, if you are here, thank you for being here. If you're watching from home, thank you uh, for tuning in there. And a quick thanks to whoever and wherever you are, if you're tuning in. Thank you guys for your uh, patience and your grace and your prayers. As we think about church life in this time, there's not really a handbook for this. It's not like Third Timothy is a thing that's about a global pandemic. And so thank you for your patience as we try to figure out what wisdom looks like with everything going on. Um, additionally, if you are here and you are visiting with us today, we have a team of masked superheroes out at our Welcome Center over here in your Auditorium One, uh, ready to chat with you at a respectful distance about any questions that you might have about life here at Fellowship Greenville. And if you are a member or a regular, do not go out to Next Steps because nobody's out there, but pretty please peruse the website or the app to see if and what and when we're thinking what we're thinking, since there are still tons of question marks as we start to look ahead to the fall. And if you don't know or if you've been tuned in this summer, we are doing a summer series that we are calling Disciple. We are trying to wrap our minds around what it means to be disciples of Jesus. Don't know if you know this, but a lot of Christianity in the American South is still just cultural decency. It's a social club, it's fire insurance, it's just what we've always done. It's just random <coughs> Sunday attendance that often has no bearing on the rest of people's lives. Some people do it because they think, you know what, this is gonna make me cool with God. Some people do the church thing because they want other people to think that they are spiritual. And some people even do it because they go, you know what, if I do this church thing, my life will stay like moral and tidy and comfy and cozy and stuff. And I got really sad news for you. The Bible talks about real Christianity in zero of those ways, all right? Christianity in the Bible is about being a disciple of Jesus, about following him being his apprentice, learning from him, submitting to him, studying him and with him. <clears throat> and this summer, we're trying to think about that and we're, we're talking and thinking about discipleship as a triangle or like a three-legged stool, if you will. We've got it on the screens here for you. You can't just have two legs on a stool, that's no stability, that stool's gonna collapse. So we've been saying that discipleship is life with Jesus, life in community and life on mission. We talked about how life with Jesus entails intimate relationship with him, seeing him as the hero of scripture's story and being led by his Holy Spirit. In the past three weeks, Charlie has talked about life in community, that discipleship means we are a part of Jesus's family. Even if that's hard sometimes, there is a great beauty to it in the long haul. And today we get to start thinking about bottom left of the triangle there, what it means to be on mission as we follow Jesus. Now, <clears throat> when I think about the word mission, and we just get to listen to what I think today because I got a microphone glued to my face. When I think about the word mission, two things come to mind, <clears throat> two like reflex reactions in my brain. The first thing that comes to mind is like mission statements that companies and business use to be like, here's what we're doing and here's how we're doing it. And so let's just review a couple of our, our favorites, if you will. Amazon's mission statement is to be the earth's most a customer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything they might want to buy online. And I even think they wrote that in the late 90s, which feels like a dark prophecy about a global pandemic. <clears throat> now, 
Nike's mission statement is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. If you have a body, you are an athlete, which makes me feel like I can go run a 5K in 15 minutes right now, even though I have 40 next year. Uh, Whole Foods, they say our deepest purpose as an organization is helping support the health and well-being and healing of both people and the planet. They're shooting for the stars there. Disney's mission statement is to entertain, inform, and inspire people around the globe through the power of unparalleled storytelling. And Tesla, I wrote in a Tesla for the first time in January, it was life-changing. Tesla's mission statement is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. And here's the last one, and it's a good one, and I'm just gonna let you guess where this is from. It is our mission to continue to authoritatively provide access to diverse services to stay relevant in tomorrow's world. This is from our favorite online company called Mission Statement Generator. That means nothing, okay? The thing that you just read that I just read, it means nothing. It's just random cute words glued together that sound like people are trying too hard, okay? That's what that is. And that's a great reminder that words don't matter if they're not married to action. Like, I don't care how good you sound, back it up with the way you live and what you do. But I also have a question about all these mission statements and all the other mission statements. Like, if you go buy all the stuff, all the cool stuff that you wanna buy online and you even see more stuff that you think you need and you click and you buy that online and you think you're this budding athlete but you also don't have a chance since there's no sports at all right now. And if you think you're trying to be healthy and Whole Foods is convincing you that by shopping there and charging you too much. And if you think you're helping with sustainable energy even though, good luck. If you do all the things, my point is if you do all the things, what's next? Like, why did, why did you do that to have like psychological comfort when you go to sleep at night? What's, what's the point of all those things? I'm not saying they're bad, go, go do them, sure. <clears throat> but I just think there should be like a mission statement on mission statements. Like there's a shelf life to all of those whys, right? So that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear the word mission is these like buzz phraseology mission statement things. <clears throat> now, uh, I think I'll think this until the day I die, but uh, even if dad goes on to be with Jesus, but I still think of myself as a Baptist preacher's kid. And so because I am a Baptist preacher's kid, when I, the second thing I think of when I hear the word mission <clears throat> is missions, plural. Like I grew up in this small town, kind, conservative Southern Baptist church. And in that kind of space, the absolute peak of following Jesus was whether or not you grew up and became an overseas missionary, whether or not you did missions with your life. And part of me kind of still thinks that. Like I have unparalleled respect for my friends who do that, for people that God calls to do that. And just to be honest, maybe God's calling you to do that and you should pray about it and then you should go get out of here if that means obedience to God. But the problem for a lot of the 20th century was this thing that missiologists are now calling the West to the rest. And here's what I mean. We Westerners, especially us Americans, we would go and do missions, and often that just meant making people into American Christians, right? We would just roll up in there with our giant, huge King James Bibles with our ties and our white shirts and our white skin and our Anglo hymns, and we expected those who came to Jesus in Chile and Kenya and Japan and Indonesia to do it like we do it. Now, Those things aren't wrong. I am the biggest hymn snob that you will ever meet, and I stand by that, okay? But these things became wrong to the extent 
that we flattened the diversity that God longs for in his family. God is a God of the nations, and he is gathering for himself a family from every tribe, tongue, and people, and language, and he takes great delight in the diversity of his family. And so, when the end of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century rolled around, American Christians were left shocked when, you ready? China and South Korea started sending missionaries, wait for it, here. We didn't have categories for that because we thought we were the deal. And so 20-ish years ago, that west to the rest thing crumbled and my little Southern Baptist preacher's kid's brain had to shift categories a little bit. So these are the two reflex reactions in my mind when I hear mission. Those are the things that kind of flood my brain. Now, what in the world do those things have to do with being a disciple? Well, Both of these seemingly distinct ideas are about pitching you a story or an experience with a purpose. Whether it's Nike selling you a story about you being an athlete with a dream or Whole Foods convincing you that if you shop with them that there's healing for your body and the whole planet or someone struggling to across different cultures communicate the message of Jesus. All of these are a story with a why. And and that's what mission is about. Mission is about why. It's about purpose. And this this is where my heart breaks as a pastor sometimes because the practical purpose, they wouldn't you wouldn't say this, but the practical purpose of so much Christianity is just that we wouldn't offend God. Like we're just trying to live in such a way that he doesn't get upset with us or that we don't bother him. Or if we do bother him, then we just kind of approach him and be like, can you make me not feel the, the, the guilt and the shame anymore? Do that grace thing or whatever. And we sometimes only deal with God like that. And that's a fear-based purpose and not a freedom-based purpose and mission. It's, it's reactive and not proactive. And I'll tell you right now, the God of the Bible revealed in Jesus is way more worthy and awesome than that. So how do we say that positively? How do we do that? What does it mean to actively be a disciple on mission? What is is the bigger and better story that we need to be telling and believing and living in? Like way past health and wealth and materialism and you having stuff, way past your experience of sin and guilt and shame, way past the existential happiness that we're all chasing all the time. What's the bigger purpose? What's the mission statement on mission statements? The biggest mission, why, what is it? We were preaching through Acts in 2016 and Charlie preached a great message in that series in spring of 2016 called, What Is Your Why? I highly suggest go back and listen to that. It would dovetail nicely with what we're talking about today. <clears throat> but here's, here's what I wanna do. I wanna take that and just spin it. Have you ever thought about this? What is God's why? Like what is God's purpose? What is his mission? And also, then you gotta follow that with, hey dude, if you have a purpose that's different than God's, how's that gonna work out for you? How's that gonna go for you? Now let me make this just a little bit more complicated. This is a little theological. But just like the Latin Trinity is explicit nowhere but implicit everywhere in the Bible, it's the same with mission. Mission's a Latin idea, Latin word that's explicit nowhere but implicit everywhere in the Bible. And so what we have to do, we're feeling this pressure from all these different places. We have to piece these things together, we have to. If we're trying to follow Jesus, do life with Jesus, do life in community alongside others who are doing life with him, then we have to go, what does on-mission discipleship look like? Like there's a bigger and better story out there and we need to tell it, believe it, and live in it well. 
That's our question for today. <clears throat> and wrangling it to the ground is imperative. What does it mean to be a disciple on mission? Now, like we have done in weeks past to answer our question today, we're gonna do pictures and responses. I really like just preaching through entire books of the Bible, one passage at a time. <clears throat> but today we're gonna do five biblical pictures that will help us hone our definition of being on mission. And then five responses to kind of help give us tracks to run on as we seek to be faithful to God and his mission. So what does on-mission discipleship look like? Here we go, picture number one. Go to Habakkuk chapter two. Here we go, man. Habakkuk, that lovely little town, a little west of the New Testament. If you have to use your table of contents, there is no shame because nobody even knows how to spell Habakkuk or even pronounce it. I've heard Habakkuk, and there's probably another way to do the thing. <clears throat> Habakkuk, Habakkuk, whatever. Um, he was a minor prophet in the Old Testament. <coughs> And he preached against Israel's sin and injustice. And he was so confused and he was even angered by the violence of the nations, the violence of Israel, and even the idolatry of Israel. And most of his book, <clears throat> most of his book is himself pouring out his heart to God because of everything that he sees. Like uh, Habakkuk's not giving off super positive vibes. If you're like, you know what, Habakkuk, three chapters, I'll read it for my devotions or whatever this morning. You're not gonna walk away and be like, dude, I feel so refreshed, right? The last few verses of chapter three are really, really good. But most of the time, Habakkuk's just pouring his heart out and he's just kind of confused and angry. And so aside from the end of chapter three right there, there's another bright spot in Habakkuk where he lifts his head in hope and he looks past all of the crazy and that's Habakkuk 2 14, look in Habakkuk 2, 14 uh, with me, please. Look, he writes, the earth will be filled, living hope. This doesn't, this doesn't say the earth might be, or there's a chance it will be, or we're crossing our fingers, it's fair to partly cloudy. No, 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 no. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. <clears throat> Dude, I, I love that picture. That's a beautiful image to me. The most baseline definition of the sea is that it's completely covered with water. And so not only will God's glory <clears throat> be, be pervasive and uppermost and only as present as sand in the Sahara, but our knowledge of it will be the same. And knowledge in the Hebrew worldview of the Bible is not factual awareness, but experiential knowledge, like Adam knew Eve. So what does this have to do with mission? Well, this is the direction and the content of mission, that one day the earth will be flooded with God's glory and beauty and worth and love and power and justice and peace, and that we would have an overflowing knowledge and experience of that and be caught up into it. This is the answer to the question, what is God's why, right? <clears throat> just, just think about it for a, sec a second. If God, think about this, exalts someone or something above himself and his own glory, he is breaking the first commandment to have no other gods before him. Now watch this. If God doesn't prize and value that which is most valuable in the whole universe, then he is an idolater just like ancient Israel. Rather, here and in the rest of scripture, God is seeking the display and enjoyment of his own glory. And he is not wrong to do so because he is a loving, self-giving being. And God also knows that that is the very thing that will most satisfy us and make us happy. 
I commend to you C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory. Here's a line from it. Lewis writes, we do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. To be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, and to become part of it. And this partnering with God in beholding and delighting in his beauty is why we were created. God made us to be image bearers, right? To reflect his glory back to him and to rule the world in partnership with him. This, This is the broader version of discipleship. Like just think, a disciple is supposed to be like their rabbi and an image bearer is supposed to be like their creator. It's the same thing. So yes, missions, plural, is one of God's many purposes that we need to get on board with. And yes, God saving sinners who are undeserving, like me and you, is his unbelievable work of unconditional love and grace. But, whoa, whoa, what's gonna happen to those things in the new creation? What will become of missions, plural, in the new heavens and the new earth? They won't be needed anymore. Why, you may ask? Because the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh will cover the earth, this earth, this planet, cover it like waters cover the sea. This is the why beyond all of the whys, that God's glory would be seen and enjoyed with he and his people, world without end. Every, every other purpose like submits to this one and every other why bows the knee right here. Way to go Habakkuk, right? You didn't think that was possible, right? That's picture number one. Picture number two. Let's go to John chapter 20. Go New Testament now. John chapter 20. We are reading John right now in our community Bible reading. Um, I hope you're enjoying that. And next month, I can't wait to get back into John on Sunday mornings with you guys. Uh, If you recall, John is the most unique of the biographies of Jesus that we have. And one of the things that makes the gospel of John so unique is Jesus' constant commentary on his relationship with his father and the mission that stems from that. <clears throat> like it's, it's hinted at in the other gospels, but in the gospel of John, it's like 3D or, or, or technicolor or something. We learn so much more about it in John's gospel. And here in John 20, he's with his disciples after the resurrection and he's talking about how his relationship with his father is a paradigm and an invitation to his disciples, to his, <clears throat> to his followers. So let's do John 20, start in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom, peace be with you. Again, Jesus is just rolling up in there, doors locked, which would have left them like slack-jawed and wide-eyed. And what, what's happening? And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, because this is weird, he said to them, guys, peace, Shalom, wholeness, stillness be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. That is so massive, right? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I've already mentioned this, but mission is a Latin word, and the New Testament was written in was written in Greek. And this Greek word right here, sending, in, in verse 21, is what we mean when we use the language of mission. The Greek word is apostello. It means sent with a purpose. The 12 disciples were also called apostles, the sent out ones. And elsewhere, Paul, not talking about the 12 capital A apostles, Paul says in Romans 1, we have received grace and apostleship from Jesus the Messiah. So just get there. 
Death can't stop him, so a locked door is not gonna get in his way at all. And Jesus walks up in the room and he tells the disciples, guys, 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 peace, stillness, shalom, take a breath. In the same way the Father sent me on a mission, I'm doing the same to you. And that means that if you are a Christian, you are a missionary, you are an apostle, you are one who is sent. We were created to share in and delight in and extend God's glory by reigning with him in the garden, but we chose to do our own thing and we rebelled. And through God's promises to Israel, Jesus has come to make the garden happen again. Even in this chapter, in verse 15, Jesus is the gardener right there after his resurrection. He's the second Adam of the new creation. Meaning, Jesus came to reverse the curse of sin and death. That was his mission. And he came to do it by uniquely and sacrificially giving his life for others. And now, we get to do the same. Right? This should be intimidating and beautiful. So, in your daily decisions, every day, when you make little decisions, do you try to die dozens of little deaths so that other people can live? Or do you, have, do you have to make sure you get your way? Do you serve people so that others can learn or do you have to go around feeling right all the time? I'll help you because social media is a lie. Do you have to go around feeling right all the time? Do you make choices based on getting more comfort and control in your life? Or do you make choices so that other people might feel unconditional love and grace? Would you rather, really simple, would you rather other people be like, oh man, they're great, or oh wow, God's great? Be honest. Are your motives bent in on yourself or are they outward looking so that others might be nudged to find life in Jesus? Just as the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends you. How did the Father send the Son? Great question. Clothed in humility and service and sacrifice and love and other-centeredness and empowered by the Spirit. And I know that you're gonna try to find an excuse to not believe me. I try to find excuses, but this is where your greatest joy ever will be found. Just like Jesus' friends at the end of John 20, if you're a disciple, you should follow your rabbi Jesus and lay down your life for God's mission. That's John 20. 21. Now, picture one is the widest lens possible. But we went and did our own thing. We went our own way. And so picture two of Jesus brings it all back into focus that Jesus came to give us life by giving his. And now we're supposed to follow his lead. And this takes us to picture three, which is also Ephesians three. Ephesians chapter three. In Ephesians, Paul has been writing about how grace not only saves us, but it changes us and it unifies us. And we're getting ready to look at a couple verses here in Ephesians chapter three, where Paul says something surprising about where God wants to put his glorious grace on display. And also, there's a really fun line in here just about uh, who's watching as God's doing that. So I wish I could spend a few hours on this. Uh, You're welcome, we'll just do a couple minutes. Ephesians three, verses eight through 10. Here we go. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Messiah and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that, that's a purpose statement, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul is saying 
that God is seeking to put his wisdom on display in and through the church. And the, the crazy line in here is that somehow as this is happening, every angel in heaven and demon in hell <clears throat> is watching along and they're blown away. They're kind of in shock by the whole thing. But here's what I want to accent. When it says through the church in verse 10 right there, through the church, <clears throat> the word church is used 120 times or so in the New Testament and it means gathering or assembly. And when people would have heard this word, when this letter was read out loud, they would have thought about a local group of Jesus followers who would gather and scatter and gather and scatter and they thought that their gathering and scattering was part of their doing God's mission. <clears throat> These people would have ate together, sang together, they would have done Bible together and got frustrated together and got mad at each other and cried together and forgiven each other and hugged each other and laughed together. And if you read the rest of Paul's letters, they, these Jesus followers, these local groups started to develop these lists and budgets and little structures about who needed food and whose kids belonged to who and who lost loved ones so that they could go get food. And they had small groups and different spiritual gift sets and it included rich and poor and young and old and Jew and Gentile. And so when Paul says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, he's talking and primarily including local churches. Meaning God wants to put his unparalleled beauty, worth, wisdom, and glory on display in our church family as we hold up high the message of Jesus. With all of our sins and similarities, with all of our disagreements and distinctions, with all of our tri trials and triumphs, God wants to make local churches into hot spots that show off his grace and make the glory of Eden happen again. Like at Fellowship Greenville, with you, with me, with us, doing what we should do, God wants to uniquely and supremely put his glory on display so that angels in heaven and demons in hell go unreal. That's what that's saying. That's massive. Or to use our terminology that we've been using all summer, <clears throat> if you think that you're on mission and you're not in community, then you're not on mission like you should be. It has to be in and through the church. And here's a way to say all three of these first pictures in one sentence. Here we go. Partnering in God's mission, like God's son, happens through God's people, the church. God does not have a plan B, his sometimes dysfunctional but always hopeful family. The church is his plan A. As we hoist high the gospel of Jesus in the power of the spirit, he will make himself known in our midst, partnering in God's mission like God's son happens through God's people, the church, and that should intimidate you and make you happy, right? Picture number four, <clears throat> Old Testament, sorry, I'm just making you flip-flop, flip-flop. Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 42. If you've read Isaiah before, you know the last chunk of Isaiah is a book of hope. First 39 chapters of Isaiah can be pretty heavy. <clears throat> Israel deserved it. <laughs> but the last bit is a book of hope. And throughout his ministry, Isaiah, like Habakkuk, was writing in a time when God's people were really distracted by other nations and by the gods of other nations. Turns out the nations aren't really that mad at you if you worship their gods, huh, who would've thunk? Um, and so basically Israel was just justifying their idol worship for the sake of political comfort. Let me say that again for no apparent reason whatsoever. Israel was justifying their idol worship for the sake of political comfort and knowing this, Isaiah takes pen to parchment and he starts writing in 42 according to what God's saying to him, Isaiah 42, six through eight. It says, 
I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the peoples, as a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved idols. This is what we've been saying all along. Glory is at stake here. And the glory is meant to be shared with his people and God's people are meant to share the glory with, verse six, last line, You are to be a light to the nations. The glory is intended to be global. Mission work did not start in the New Testament. Mission work didn't even start when Israel became a nation state in the Old Testament, had some land that they could use as their base of operation. Mission started in the garden. Listen, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And we did fill it, but we filled it with violence and hate because we rebelled and we were deceived. And now we try to be our own gods. So when God comes to Father Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm gonna make you into a family and out of your family, I'm gonna bless all the families of the earth. And then Abraham's family gets set free from slavery and they come to Mount Sinai and God says to Abraham's family, I will make you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation among all the other nations to show them what I'm like, to show them my love. And Isaiah right here in chapter 42 is drawing on all of those things, Genesis 1, Exodus 19, etc. God has always intended for his people to be a light to the nations and fill the earth. There are some 7.7 billion people in the world. Millions upon millions who don't know about God's rescuing love and free grace in Jesus. How often do you think about that? And God's plan for his people, the church, us, for Fellowship Greenville, is to take the good news of Jesus to unreached peoples and places. I mean, what are you gonna argue with? How are you gonna push back on that? For God's people, it has always been salvation and vocation together, always, inseparably but we let the salvation part go to our heads and somehow think that we're worthy on our own and man, God better be, he better count himself lucky to have us on his team. And just like Old Testament Israel, this has caused us to neglect our vocation to be a light to the nations. Part of the very essence of God rescuing us and saving us is that we now hold out God's offer of love and grace to all peoples. This is our, this is our holy task and our vocation. And I will say this, I am so thankful to be a part of a church that cares about this and that does this. We try to put a strong accent on this and I pray that God would give us continued strength for that in the future. Lastly, picture number five. Go to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, picture number five here. Um, This might be like a a fossil from my Baptist upbringing, but does anybody have a life verse or does that sound just as dorky as, as I think it sounds coming out of my mouth? Does anybody have a life verse? This, I, don't, I don't know if this is still a thing. I used to hear it a lot when I was younger. Um, I don't even know what it means. I think it just means a verse or a passage that you keep going back to uh, that's like an anchor for you. Um, the first time I ever heard somebody talk about having a life verse that was so compelling, I was like, I'll take it. And I was like, that'll be my life verse too, woohoo. Uh, I was uh, 12 years old, it was in the early 90s, it was my first youth retreat trip thing. 
Adrian Dupree was speaking. If you know Adrian, you know how hilarious and great of a guy he is. He would later go on to write a blurb on my book when I wrote a book and be the team chaplain for the Gamecocks, but Muschamp let him go, which was a terrible decision. But Adrian stood up and he said, all right, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. I'm gonna show you my life verse and Paul's life verse. And I was like, oh, this should be impressive. So he's like, all right, and here in Acts 20, Paul is saying goodbye to some of his dear friends. They're crying together. They're like at this beach uh, wharf thing. Uh, Paul's getting ready to get on a ship and go away forever like, like Frodo and return to the king. And as Paul is pouring out his heart, to his friends, he says, verse 24. Now, <clears throat> you can look along with me. I'm gonna say it a different version because that's what I memorized it in. Just, but just listen to it. I love this. Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me unless I finish the race and complete the task that Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And that's so good? And if life verses are still a thing, then I guess that's mine. And I think, <clears throat> I think, Adrian is right. If Paul had to write a mission statement over his whole life, like, like Amazon or Disney, I think this is gonna be it. I don't consider my life worth anything unless, there's one thing, what, unless I finish the race and I complete the task that Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel, of making a big deal, of shining a spotlight on the gospel of God's grace in Jesus. These are not empty words for Paul. If you know my man's story, you know he is living it out. These words are married to action in his life. This did not come from some super dumb, churchy mission statement generator. Paul is adamant about this in all of his life and in all of his letters. Yes, he calls out sin and he theologically corrects and he pastorally encourages, but he does it all in service of this singular goal of testifying to the gospel of God's grace in Jesus. So, how does this last picture, <clears throat> how does this last picture fit in with our other four? Well, on mission discipleship means that there's a bigger story than our own, than the one that we should be telling and, and trusting in and believing in and living in. And it's a story about the earth, this planet, <clears throat> one day, new heavens, new earth, new creation, this planet flooded with God's glory. You ready? That's Habakkuk 2. Because of Jesus, John 20, through the church, Ephesians 3, and for the nations, Isaiah 42, and as individual followers of Jesus, this is Acts 20, like Paul, we need to be discerning how God specifically wants us to join his mission, and that's why we have Acts 20, 24. And so now, ball's in your court, what does this look like for you? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna opt out on mission. I'm gonna stick with with Jesus and in community. No, 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 you don't, you don't have that option. The question is, what does it specifically look like for you? How are you gonna appropriate an Acts 20, 24 in your life? <clears throat> now, to help you think about this, I have five brief responses that correspond with our five pictures that we just looked at. <clears throat> these, are, these are just suggestions to help us be more intentional as we think about being on mission. This is our calling, our inheritance, our delight, and our duty. So these are just suggestions. There's probably a thousand more things that you guys could think of. <clears throat> Here we go, response number one. Be free because it's about God and not you. Be free because it's about God and it's not about you. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. <clears throat> Some of you might be thinking right now, Jim, I see what you're saying, and man, it, yes, like I, <clears throat> I want to get on board with that, 
but I don't know if you know this, Jim, we're still in this thing called a global pandemic. Uh, I'm freaking out about my kids and school and there's still a chance I might lose my job. I've been furloughed. I'm, I'm working so few hours. I also being kind of closer, it's, I really can't stand my spouse right now. Really, really, I mean, kind of hate them. And if I bring it up, they'll just go uh, drink and gossip and, and do unhealthy things. And, and Jim, to be honest, dude, like my wife and I, we, we think we're cool, but I'm, I've never felt more depressed or anxious right now than my entire life. And there's not enough pills or Bible verses or counselors in the world that can take this stuff away. Jim, listen, <clears throat> I can't do all this thinking about God and his mission and his glory if I can't even get my own life together. Now, if that's what you're feeling, I'm so sorry for you, brother or sister, that life has you stretched so thin and I promise you're not alone. We're all feeling stuff like that probably. And I'm not saying that you should ignore all that stuff, absolutely not. What I'm saying is that there is a special kind of holy freedom when we ponder how all of those things should be seen in light of God's glory. Most of us burden ourselves by making lives, making our lives about personal comfort or just alleviation of stress. Like you just have this bullet point list in your head and you're like, if I could just fix a couple of things, we would be good. And I just wanna tell you that not as good as you wish. But my question is, what if we looked <clears throat> beyond that? What if a larger part of our freedom and healing and clarity was consciously giving ourselves to a story that's bigger than the one that we feel like we're trapped in? I think that we grow in grace and peace and freedom when we care about grace and peace and freedom in other people's lives. What if that's part of the key that unlocks this thing for you? If it's about God and his glory and his beauty, then it doesn't have to be about you and me. Man, the pressure is off. I can take a deep breath. There's freedom there. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it takes great trust and faith to live in this kind of freedom. And I think that is what God wants for us. It's about his glory and story. So the pressure's off. So we can breathe a little bit. Response number two. <clears throat> Give your life away like Jesus. Give your life away like Jesus. And this builds on number one. If you are free from it being about you, and you are, and I hope you're living like it, if you're free from that, now you can take risks in Jesus' name. Merry Christmas, all right? You don't have to live for the praise of other people. You don't have to tire yourself out. You are free from manipulating a perfect reputation in someone else's mind. Now you have all this leftover energy and what are you gonna do with it? Well, you can be just like your rabbi by sacrificially loving people. I'll tell you right now, real love costs something. If it doesn't cost anything, it's just self-indulgence that says it's love. <clears throat> and what we need and what the world needs to see is sacrificial, forgiving, kind love that is out for the good of the other with no strings attached. Listen, don't forget, you've heard it at weddings, love is not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrongs. And we get in on this when we give ourselves away. Paul says this to the Thessalonians. He says, we loved you guys so much that we not only gave you the gospel, but our very souls, our very lives. That's Paul's version of John 20, 21. So we should give our life away just like that. <clears throat> Number three, devote yourself to the church. Devote yourself to the church. Remember, God's plan is to put his surprising wisdom and glory on display through local churches. And at this point, you just need to kind of cut and paste the last bit of Charlie's sermon last week when he said, hey, put down roots. We're a family. Get involved. You, and I mean, I mean you, 
you bring stuff to the table that I don't and can't, and I bring stuff to the table that you don't and can't. We need each other, and watch, the world needs us needing each other. One of my favorite things in, in all of the book of Acts is Acts 2, <clears throat> the early churches together, and they're worshiping and singing, and they're doing Bible, and they're eating, and they're praying with each other, and they're just hanging out, and that was the thing that made people come to faith in Jesus, just the church being devoted to one another and loving one another. Being a disciple is never, ever, ever a solo project. Being a disciple on mission has to be done as a family. So be devoted to the church. <clears throat> Number four, ask what you can do that's beyond you. Now, one through three, I mean, we could have a longer conversation, but one through three, I think a lot of you could go, you know what, I should pick up my game a little bit. I should step it up a little bit on those like in my normal day-to-day but I'm talking about something that's totally beyond what you could do on your own, totally beyond your geography. Ask what you can do that's beyond you to be a light to the nations. This is Isaiah 42. Absolutely, God wants to partner with you on his mission uh, in your family and at work, uh, in your normal spheres of influence. We're gonna talk about that more next week. But again, God is a God of the nations and he is working there right now. And when I say ask, I, I mean in two ways. You should ask God, God, how do you want me to be involved? How do you want me to, to jump up and, and get, get my hands dirty with this? Ask God, but also ask our outreach team here. It's not hard, it's just a click and an email. Now, obviously that might, like involvement with that might look different for the next little bit, but, but what I'm talking about right now is your openness and Willingness, that's what I'm talking about. I think it's Dr. Piper who says, Christians have four options when it comes to global missions. Go, send, pray, or disobey. And you should consider how God wants you to work with him as he gathers his family from every tribe, tongue, people, and language. Response number five. <clears throat> Be loud about Jesus, and I'm putting it this way to annoy you and so that you'll remember it. I'm not saying everybody needs to be Mike Hawkins, okay? I'm not saying everybody, you, I'm not saying be obnoxious about Jesus. I'm not saying raise your voice and talk about it. I'm not saying, hey, you should be more extroverted than you are as a Christian. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying, like Paul in, in Acts 20, there should be an overwhelming sense that Jesus is the most important thing to you. When Paul says, my life is worth nothing to me unless... I make a big deal of the grace of Jesus. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Is that how you assess your life and your part in God's mission? And here's the more convicting question. Do other people see that? Let's just do this. Ask your friends, hey man, if you had to write a mission statement for my life, what would it be? Or let's just get way more annoying. If your spouse had to write a mission statement of purpose on why you do what you do, how would it sound? Would it have the flavor of Acts 20, 24? Would there be any sense that you want the grace of Jesus to be the loudest thing in your life? That's what I'm getting at when I say be loud about Jesus. And what we're talking about in each of these responses is a natural reaction to the glory of God on display in the gospel of Jesus. If you put the gospel in front of you every day, <clears throat> Every day you put the gospel of Jesus in front of you, that that is the thing that is most important, that Jesus has come to right all wrongs and bring heaven to earth, that he forgives selfish, sinful jerks like me and you, that he brings healing and restoration to our brokenness, 
that his death on the cross should have been ours and that his resurrection can be ours if we are trusting him. If you're believing this gospel story, then all these responses and a million more like them become get-tos and not have-tos. This is the true and better and bigger story than living for just fixing what your mind is on or just fleeting comfort. This is the bigger story. This is a story about God's glory covering the earth, this planet, like waters cover the seas. And because of Jesus, we get to share in that glory with his people from every nation. This is God's mission, and he's inviting us to get on board. A new heavens and a new earth with unhindered, uninterrupted, unfootnoted love and joy and peace and praise and partying with creation, with others, and with God himself. Here's the deal, friends. This is the exact place that history is headed. And all I'm saying is we should just start party planning a little bit. That's on mission discipleship. Fellowship Greenville, we want to be a community of grace that lives out life and mission with Jesus passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus. And we hate the idea that those might just be words. But if we're trusting the grace of God in the gospel, that reality will come to life in us and through us for the sake of God's fame and glory. And I hope that that is what you want. Hope you're believing Jesus for that today. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask that these things would be driven down deep into our hearts to the point where we can't not act, we can't not respond, where we pursue sharing your love, extending your love, showing your love to others. And we know that this can't be mechanical, like us just kind of doing something on our own. Jesus, we have to be enthralled with you and impressed with you and just treasure and prize you above all else. So Holy Spirit, Make the glory of Jesus shine very brightly in our family here at Fellowship Greenville for the fame of the Father and for our great good. Jesus, you're the best. We love you. Amen.